I want to keep the kids in here. We're going to take communion first, and then we'll dismiss the kids, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, we've talked about communion the last few weeks, um, and I didn't want to rush it, and I, I'm not going to rush it today either. So I wanted to have communion, and then we're going to we're going to talk about communion. I just don't want to do it and then move on as as it's just a basic ritual. I want to really talk about why we do it and and maybe even some misconceptions about it. So um, if we can, what we're going to do, don't anybody get up yet, but what we're going to do in a minute, I'd like for you guys to, to kind of gather as a family if you can, and we're going to kind of go to the as much as we can to the outside edges and come in and then go back through the two middle rows to try to save anybody from running into each other. And we're all just going to get the elements, the cracker and the grape juice, and then get back and sit down, and then we'll all just kind of take it together. Does that make sense? All right, so um, if you guys will stand up with me. Don't eat or drink yet. Just hold on to it. I love hearing everybody come up here, <clears throat> and some of you guys were laughing and talking. And the cool thing about the more I studied about communion, the more I saw that it was um, done after a celebration, after basically a party and a meal, and people would get together. And I think uh, traditionally when I saw it growing up, it was very somber and very scary <laughs> and uh, for many different reasons. But I believe communion is, in essence, uh, really speaking volumes to community and us coming together and seeing that Christ is at the center of everything. Um, it, is, it is the only reason we're here. It's the only reason we gather every Sunday. It's the only reason we do anything is because of Jesus. And so communion is above in all things, and I've, I've been... I've been accused of using that as a cop-out of using, of all things, of using Christ as the overarching theme of the of Bible. When people will get into debates with me, they'll want to talk about specific things. <clears throat> and I always put those under the umbrella of Christ. And I believe it's the most important thing, especially in the midst of us as we've come together as two churches, even most recently. The most important thing above anything else is that we all agree on that one thing, is that Christ is at the center of all of this. Of everything that we do, it's, it's all about him. Um, and so we're going to talk more about it after we do it, which is kind of a little bit backwards, um, but mainly for the reason I want to be able to uh, separate the kids and let them learn a little bit differently than we do um, in a way that they can understand and some common misconceptions that we have. So if you guys will stand up with me, we're going to pray, and, and uh, I'm going to try to make this as, as honestly as simple as possible. This is representative of Christ's body, and this is representative of his blood. When, when Jesus came, he, he not only died for our sins, but he resurrected so that we, can have new, so that we could have new life. And when we do this, um, I like the way Brian says it. it's like it's like uh, how did you put it? It's a birthday party without a birth. In the same way we we celebrate um, baptism, it's an outward expression of something that's going on inside us. So this represents Christ in us. I mean, over and above anything, it's showing that Christ is in us. So this is the bread of life, and this is what we take inside us. And this is representative of Christ's blood. Listen, if it wasn't for his blood, what, what would we have become? This is representative of him inside us and his blood flowing through our veins and his new life inside of us. So this represents Christ's blood, and we take it. This is, this is a celebration. Listen, this is good news, guys. This is good news. This means that you are a new creation. This is... The, and the cool thing is, if you don't believe that, then you just had a cracker and grape juice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this is the truth in us. If you're a believer, this is the truth. This is an outward expression of who we are in Christ. So now, kids, you guys are dismissed. Oh, I forgot offering. We'll get offering in a minute. Kids, you guys are dismissed. We'll take up offering. You can tell we're not all about money here. I completely forgot about it.
And I'll tell you, while the kids are leaving, one of the things we do here, we really enjoy is having the kids during worship because we really want them to be involved with families and, and, uh, and get to hang out with us some so we're not always completely separate. Oh, yeah. I might not get a chance to preach today, but that's fine. We had several people ask how to join our church and what that looked like, um, just new people that had come. Um, and so we want to give that opportunity now. This is what it looks like. <laughs> You're looking at it. So if you would like to join the church, does anybody want to join the church? That would we like to? Come up. Come up here. Come on. Listen, it's as, it's as genuinely simple as that. We, we uh, ah, this is awesome. I want to hug everybody. <laughs> I'll hug everybody. <laughs> hey. All right, um, Deborah, Scott, Melissa, I'm terrible with names, Dakota, Dakota. Jason, Ashley, Jason, Ashley, okay, all right, I'll forget again, Tracy will remind me later, all right, listen, we want to be the absolute best church experience you guys have ever had, this is not what we expect from you guys, but it's more of an expectation on us, and so when, when you join this church, I put everything on everybody else <laughs> because we, we genuinely want to be the absolute best church experience you guys have. And we want to, what happened to us and many others is we were, we were kind of hurt in church and we were pushed away. And so we want to make sure that you guys know that you're loved and you're supported and everything um, that anything that we can do to help do that, please keep communication open with us so that we can do that. Um, and that's it. You guys are in. I mean, we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't break out the snakes or lock the doors until like the third, the third Sunday after you join. Yeah, right. So, uh, but what we do want to do, we'll, we'll ask the elders to come up. And, don't run away yet. Come back up here. What we do want to do is we ask the elders to come up and pray. And anybody else that wants to come up and pray, we want to pray over you guys just briefly and, and just kind of consummate this thing. So if you guys, elders, any kind of leadership or anybody wants to come up, we just want to pray for you guys. Come close up. We're also a very loving church. We like to hug and stuff and pray and stuff. Yes, Lord. Father, we just thank you for new life, Father. New life in us individually and corporately as a body, Father. This this represents new life in our church too. So Lord, as you as you continue to add in our numbers, it's not we're not building a church here, but we just want to continue to build your kingdom. Lord, beyond the, the walls of this church, Father, we just want to build your kingdom. More and more people that know you and can trust you as Father and and, and have confidence and identity as sons and daughters of the King. Father, we are heirs and co heirs in you. Lord, we thank you for your body and for your blood today, and, and uh, we, just, we just continue that, that, that thought and that prayer, Lord, that, uh, that we, this would be the absolute best church experience they ever have, and they know without a shadow of a doubt that they are loved, without a shadow of a doubt that they are supported, and that we are here to help and not to hurt. And so we just thank you for that truth and for your heart in us and through us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. All right. We we obviously practice open communion here. If you've never heard open communion, then you probably never heard of closed communion. I never heard of closed communion until I was invited somewhere, and they wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> I was like, "What's this?" And they said, "It's closed." How is it closed? How can I not have it? It was because I wasn't part of that, I guess, uh, 
denomination or they didn't know me well enough or for whatever reason, it was only for them, it wasn't for me. Um, and that was really kind of put me off a little bit, like, that seems odd. And so uh, fast forward, uh, Melvin and Libby, who do an awesome job of helping with, with uh, our communion and encourage me in it, um, because it's, honestly, it's not something on my, on my uh, forefront. I don't see it. Uh, I'm not as passionate about it as they are. I'm just being straightforward. But when they do show me, I begin to see more and more of Christ in it. And in everything that we do, that's what I look for. I don't want to ever do anything as a ritual or as something that we do because we're a church and we're supposed to do it. And if you know me, that's just how I am. And so anytime anybody brings anything to me, to me I go straight to, to praying and, and researching and figuring out why we do the things that we do. I don't want to just do things, just to do them. And so awesome, every time that happens, I mean, there's so much truth and there's so much Christ in it all. But what I began to research and see in some of some different mainstream denominations and different um, theologies was that they had closed communion, and part of the closed communion was you had to repent of your sins before you, you took communion, um, which is a, it's a mixed-up theology because what if you forget or what if you missed one? And to me, I always think about that. You know, if, I understand repentance of sins, but I believe that's once and for all in Christ. And it's, I also think, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent there, it is beneficial to us to, to um, confess our sins one to another. But to me, none of you remembered every one of your sins. I mean, I'll t- I will tell you that right now. If you did, you're, you're real, real smart. <laughs> and so, <laughs> much smarter than most of the people that I know. And so, if, you're, if it's contingent on what I can do, then why do we need Christ? So, to me, communion is the same way. If this is representative of my relationship with Christ, why do I need to clean my life up before I come to him? When I didn't have to do that to come to him to begin with. Really? Before you took communion? Yeah. That's new. I never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, for kids too. Because here's the thing. Unfortunately, I believe Christ has been misrepre- misrepresented to the masses by the church because the church has either just got it mixed up or has, has sought more to control people than to help them. And the, the problem is, oh, that's going to get me off on a tangent, but it's really good. Here's the thing. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't get saved till I was 20, so I didn't get a lot of the church structure that's it's, honestly, it's kind of a positive because I'm hearing on the backside of how messed up some churches were. Um, but, what, but some of those things were the same reason why I never went to church because I saw the hypocrisy from the outside. Some of you guys saw it from the inside. I just saw it from the outside. Um, and not all, some, I mean, I'm not saying all churches are bad except for ours. Ours are just really, really good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right, communion, Okay. Closed communion, I didn't know what it was until someone told me. And none of it made any sense on, a, on the most basic level of how I know Christ to be and how I know salvation to be. If this was a representative of, of Christ and me, how did it look so radically different than what I understood Christ to genuinely be? And so as I began to study it, I, I, one of the other misconceptions, and I want to know who has heard this, it was from 1 Corinthians, is if you don't confess your sins, you'll die if you take communion. Have you all heard that? Or get sick and, yeah, you'll get sick and die, right? <laughs> okay. I heard that too, and I thought, wow, that's pretty serious, right? What's, if you ask anybody what's a common fear, is death. What, what an easy thing to try to manipulate. If you could take, it, if you could take something out of context and, and, help and try to control people, that would be a pretty easy one. Well, I think that's what's happened a lot of times in this. If you read this in its context, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, we're going to go all the way through the whole thing, all the way to the bottom, top to bottom. 
Now, I'd love to go through all of Corinthians because it was a letter and it wasn't broken up this way, but this is real specific um, concerning one specific subject, okay? Keep this in mind as we go through this. He's concerning one specific subject. This scripture has bookends, the beginning and the end, okay? We're going to read the beginning bookend and the end bookend, and then we're going to look in between. This is going to make so much more sense. Verse, huh? We're in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. All right, verse 17 says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Okay, stop there. (laughs) Here's the first bookend. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, I'm not happy at you. (laughs) In this, I'm not very happy with you. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. Okay, stop there. We're going to look at the back end. Verse 34. Well, let's, let's, verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Stop there. There's your bookends. The beginning, he's saying he's upset with them about a specific thing that's going on, and at the end, he gives them a solution to it, okay? This is, this is Paul speaking to the church, trying to help them in what they're doing and correct them in something that they're doing wrong. All right, we're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to kind of dissect it. We'll start back at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are, division, there are divisions among you. There's one problem. We don't want divisions in church. I hate divisive talk, gossip, all those things are divisive. He's saying there's divisions among you. And, and to some extent, I believe it. <laughs> so he's trying to benefit of the doubt to him. But he's saying, okay, maybe not all of you, but to some extent, I'm believing that this is actually happening. Verse 19. No doubt there have been differences among you to show uh, which of you has God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So you see the contrast there. He's saying some of you guys are coming and just making a feast out of the Lord's Supper. Instead of taking one cracker, you're taking all the crackers. And instead of one grape juice, you're drinking all the grape juice and getting drunk on grape juice somehow magically. <laughs> it was wine. I thought this would be bubbly because we put it in front of the subwoofers this morning. And I was like, that's going to like shake it all in there. They're going to think it really is wine. All right. Or that, what, that wine wouldn't be bubbly. Sparkling. Verse 22. Don't you, have, <laughs> don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or, you do, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Look at the, look at the character that he's seeing and he's hearing about and he's trying to correct. So what's happening is there's people that are coming in there and just having a feast and getting drunk. And then there are people who have no other meals because they're poor and they genuinely take one cracker and that's maybe the only meal they get. And they're celebrating the Lord's Supper there. And he's saying, you guys are doing it wrong. And you're humiliating those who genuinely have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not, what, in this matter. He's talking about a specific thing here. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that's where we get the, the drinking it or eating it in an unworthy manner. 
Now, what do we think in an unworthy manner? Obviously, we've put, we've, we've slid sin and repentance into this that isn't there. He didn't say anything about sin or repentance at this point, has he? He's talking about, what is he talking about? Let's back up. He's talking about people going in there and getting drunk and eating all the food and people that are hungry can't eat. He's saying, in this matter, you were taking this in an unworthy manner. He's calling them out on what they're doing. This is very straightforward. So you're sinning against, what is the body? We're the body. You're sinning against the people, the community, the common union. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. How do you examine yourself? Go back and look at what he just talked about. Are people around you getting taken care of? Are you thinking about yourself and being selfish and just taking all the food and getting drunk? Are you, are you looking at other people that need and making sure they get something fed before you get fed? Verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is where they get, well, you'll be judged. Nowhere does he talk about eternal damnation here. Yeah, you're going to be judged. We all judge. And I would judge you if you did that as well. And God would not be happy with you if you did it as well. What are, what are God's commands through Christ? Love God and love people. Are you loving people if you're eating in front of them and getting drunk when they don't have anything to eat? No. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep means they're dead. They died. Here's the problem. Why are people getting sick and dying? (laughs) They didn't eat enough. They didn't get anything. They're sick because you're eating all their food. (laughs) They're dying because they have no nourishment because they don't have a meal anywhere else and now you're eating it all. Right? This is why people are sick and dying. Listen, my awesome, awesome wife works in the school system and feeds kids. She, she works in the cafeteria. And her heart breaks for lots of kids that it's the only good meal they have. And sometimes that, that's marginal because they're limited in what they can serve. That's not her fault. But I know because she tells me that there will be some kids come in there that try to get too much. And she'll, small fry, right? Small fry. <laughs> I always give her a hard time. Small fry. You get a small fry. Because there's some, there's some kids in there that just, you know, they just want more food. They're not thinking about the kids that may not have anything to eat at home. Tracy recognizes that, and, and my wife is awesome, has a big heart, and she wants to make sure that everybody gets food. And they may not give her, and I'm just, well, I'm just, I'm not going to go into a whole political thing with the school system. They may not give her enough to feed everybody sometimes if kids take too much. Now, like, seriously, they may run out of food. And so Tracy, in this very instance, is the same thing here. It's like, look, you can't take all the food in the beginning because the person at the end is not going to have anything. He's saying the same thing. Listen, these guys are malnourished and they're sick and dead. It's because you guys are causing it because you're eating too much and you're getting drunk when they're just hungry. Eat at home. He says, eat at home. (laughs) You guys have a home to eat at. Eat there, then come celebrate with one cracker and one tiny cup of grape juice. And save some for the people that are around you. The common union amongst everybody. The the body. (laughs) Honor the body. Verse 31, it says, But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So he's saying right here, we are judged this way by the Lord. How, who does the Lord discipline? His sons and daughters. He's disciplining them in a way that they can actually benefit other people, not in a way that they are eternally condemned, because he says right here, you won't be. If you'll just if you can just see what I see, you'll know that you'll have the heart that I heart, the heart that I heart, the heart that I have, and you'll be able to discern what's right and wrong 
outside of any kind of uh, structure that I can give you. You'll know that this person's hungry, and you won't eat too much, and you'll, you'll give them food. This is a heart issue. Always has been. Verse 33, so it says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. It solves the problem. He's solving the problem. Everyone eat together all at once. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give further instructions. So he's saying here, none of this says, <laughs> repent of all your sins before you eat a cracker and drink grape juice. None of it says that. It's not saying that you need to be, um, because here's, here's what's happened. Over the years, we've made it all about us. <laughs> well, I've got to make sure that I've done what I'm supposed to do on my end when Christ is saying, I've done everything that you need. All you need to do is come to me. This was the hypocrisy with, with communion when I began to discover it, and I thought, how, how is there a barrier between you and Christ? How, how have we put a veil where the veil's been torn? <laughs> how do we say, okay, Christ has done it all to forgive us of our sins, and, and, and we, don't have to, we don't have to fix everything before we come to him. He'll transform us from the inside out, but now I can't drink grape juice and have a cracker because it's closed off to us because of something that I may or may not have done. Which, by the way... I can't remember all of my sins. I always challenge anybody that comes to me, and they're like, well, yeah, um, and people that talk about losing their salvation and struggling with it every week, and I'm like, man, what a miserable existence. I, I see, my Bible says he remembers my sins no more. Why am I trying to remember them? Well, that makes me sin-focused, not Christ-focused. Why am I trying to remember them all the time? I'm trying to avoid them. I'm going this direction, right? So I say the Holy Spirit doesn't remind me much of my past and the direction that I could have gone. Occasionally he gives me a glimpse into it to remind me of how awesome he is. But he doesn't, he doesn't like beat me over the head with it. <laughs> Remember how bad you were and how bad you could have been? No. Look at how great I am and how good you, you can have. Everything that you can have now is so much greater than you could have had going your own way. So when, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not, it's, not about, it's not about us, it's about Christ. If we don't and like I, like I said in the beginning, if we don't submit everything under, under a, a Christocentric, under a Christ-centered big story, the big picture, I wanted to get into, we don't have time, there is a, there is a bigger picture all the way from um, Egypt and Exodus where they celebrated this and, and all the way from the festival of unleavened bread and then this was the new covenant and there are lots of things I want to talk about there, but um, for time's sake, I don't want to get into it because I don't feel like I'd do it justice today. But I will tell you this, let me... I wanted to get that other thing because I think people have been bound up a lot by the, by the closed communion thing or the thing that you feel unworthy that you're going to die if you, if you come up and, and you feel like you're unworthy. Another thing I, I don't like is if I feel like Christ is, is also trying to demonstrate, or I feel like he was speaking through me, especially this morning too, we should not ever come up and, and take this in an unworthy manner because we're not unworthy. <laughs> and if we're new creations in Christ, we're not unworthy anymore. This is the new identity that we have, and so there's absolutely no reason for us to come up here. And there's also no reason for us to come up here and try to feast off of this because, Christ, because we are blessed in all things through Christ, and he'll provide every meal for us. So we're not orphans. So we don't, what did I do? So we don't have to fight for food. God's always going to provide for us. He's going to protect us. He's going to promote us, and he's going to provide for us. It's not up to us. So we don't have to scrounge for food. He's going to take care of it for us. Um, let me see, I'm going to try to bridge this because I can't get through everything. I don't want to get through everything. <clears throat> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll just counter the unworthy thing since I kind of stopped there. If, if we don't want to come in an unworthy manner, let's look at what, an, what a worthy manner would be. Uh, Ephesians 4, 
This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, uh, this is Ephesians 4, 1. I literally just did a search for worthy because it said unworthy, and I was curious of what worthy looked like. And this was perfect definition. <laughs> and what I, what I hear a lot of people quote is the first verse, but they don't follow it up with the rest. Ephesians 4, 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And if you stop there, that sounds like a very noble thing, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like you better, you need to, you need to buck up and fly right and live, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. But look at, the, look at what he, how he defines it in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> Listen, you, even, I know I, got, I skipped half my sermon here, but it's okay. Even though I did that, if we can get one thing from this, we talk about communion, a common union. All of us in here will disagree on at least one thing, if not a hundred. I promise you. If, if we hang out long enough, we're going to disagree. Take a trip together, man. <laughs> I've done it. And eventually, something's, you're going to want to punch somebody in the face. But here's the thing. Not, not Doug. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> Doug makes me think of ridiculous jokes. All right, spend enough time with anybody and, and you will disagree on something, right? If we all believe in this one Christ that saved us all, if we can all come to an understanding that what we're doing is, is spreading the good news of the gospel, if we can submit everything else we do to that and, and understand that everything we do is from that place, that everything, and, and we see what an honorable, uh, uh, a life worthy of the calling looks like, being humble and serving and loving one another, I spoke briefly about the work day yesterday, but genuinely, like I woke up in the middle of the night last night thinking about this and praying about it too. We got a lot accomplished around here. We did. A lot of paint and moving things and working. A lot of work happened yesterday. But the most valuable thing I took from yesterday was getting to know um, Buddy a little bit more, getting to know Mike a little bit more, getting to hear them laugh, getting, getting to hear Fred, getting to know them more getting to hear some of the ladies working together and going upstairs and moving around and cleaning out closets and, you know, Melissa running around like her chicken with her head, like a head with her chicken cut off and <laughs> laughing and crying and hugging and working. The, the, the goal wasn't, I say the goal wasn't, the goal was to get some things done, but the ultimate goal for me was to see the life and the, and the, the loving and the helping one another and the relationships that were being built. And it was just a little piece of what I think is going to continue to happen. Now, in doing so, I might have missed. Someone might have got offended. I might have said something dumb. Who knows? Someone might have been mad at me for ripping the wallpaper down and creating more work than we needed. Maybe everybody was. I don't know. But if we can see the greater goal is the relationships that we build and the love that we can show and, and the, the, the peace and the love that we can transfer to one another, then we'll continue to be a genuine life-giving church. And the cult, that's, if you want to 
put a picture on what I, I would like the, our culture of church to look like, that's it. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. If we can take anything away from this, this is, this is what Christ died for. Christ died so that we could be representatives of his kingdom on earth right now. We've said many times that we're not waiting so that we can experience paradise one day when we go to heaven. He's placed paradise in our hearts. And it's up to us to share it with other people, and that's what it looks like. If you, if you, think, if you think the world is looking for better theology or smoke and lights and mirrors and, and personality, they're not. They're looking for people who are genuine that can do that right there. That can, that can genuinely be humble and care for people outside of themselves. We've talked about agape love. You didn't have it till God gave it to you. You might have loved pizza. You might have loved, you know, some people when they were nice to you. But you didn't have real love until he gave it to you. Now you have something that's, that's, that's worth dying for. Now you have something that you can share with other people that can transform their lives. And with it will be demonstrated in gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. And carrying other people's burdens. The, the, the scripture tells us that you will recognize Christians by what? How will we recognize each other? By the way we love each other. And it's not, even though we have puppy dogs in here half the time, it's not puppy dogs and, and butterflies love. It's agape love that goes that is unconditional, that's not based on what people can do for you, but what you can do for them. Conditional love is hustle. I, can, I, I grew up hustling. <laughs> I can hustle. Christ's love is not a hustle. It says, I love you regardless of what you can do for me. And I love you, I love, God says, I love you regardless of, of what you could ever do for me. <laughs> that changes lives. It's being sin-focused doesn't change lives. Being Christ-focused changes lives. Stand up with me. I hope, I hope that you got something out of this. <laughs> Father, I thank you that you can you can supernaturally go <laughs> with your Holy Spirit. When we speak to one another and when we demonstrate uh, a real Christ-likeness, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit goes with our words. And when it goes, it, it never returns void. And so, Father, I thank you that, that your Holy Spirit moves in and through us. And I thank you that even though I didn't get to, to talk about biology and how the cracker was going to go through into the blood system and, and all the things that I thought were going to be real creative and convince people of how awesome it was that we took communion today, Lord, that they know without a shadow of a doubt that you have demonstrated the greatest love for anybody by dying for them and not just dying for them but raising so that they could have new life. So, Father, I pray that your, your, your word and your heart and your Holy Spirit goes and continues to renew our minds as we leave this place. Lord, help us to live genuine and worthy lives that look exactly like you just demonstrated to us in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.